Coming up on this week's show, we talk to author Jamie Sands, who not only writes sweet gay romances set in a theme park, but also sexy tales of pirate harems. This is the Big Gay Fiction Podcast, the show for avid readers and passionate fans of gay romance fiction. Each week, we bring you exclusive author interviews, book recommendations, and explore the latest in gay pop culture. Welcome to episode 228 of the Big Gay Fiction Podcast. I'm Will from willcanals.com, and with me, as always, is my co-host and husband, Jeff Adams. Hello, everybody. This episode of the podcast is brought to you in part by our remarkable community on Patreon. A big thank you to Maria for recently joining us. We'll have more information on how you can join the community at the end of the show, along with a sneaky peek of what we've got coming up for you next week. Welcome back, everybody. Let's talk about some good news that happened last week. We want to give some congratulations to the 2019 winners of the Ripped Bodice Awards for Excellence in Romance Fiction. It is so cool that B and Leah have started this awards program. They had some great judges, including our fellow Frolic Network podcaster, Sarah Wendell. We want to give a big shout out to Adriana Herrera for her book, American Love Story, which is part of her Dreamer series. I love this book so much. I reviewed it back in episode 216. The series was one of my very favorite things from last year, and it's so great to see Adriana get honored for that book. You can also catch our interview with Adriana back in episode 188 if you have not caught that already. Shouting out also the other authors who picked up awards in this. Alyssa Cole, who apparently wrote all the books last year because she got multiple wins in these awards. Talia Hibbert, Courtney Milan, Lucy Parker, Mia Hopkins, and Rebecca Witherspoon. Congratulations to you all. And uh, we will have a link to therippedbodicela.com where you can check out all of these books and the authors that won. Congratulations again to all of them. Some other cool news that happened last week. The audio fiction podcast, The Two Princes, which is a fairy tale love story between, hey, guess what, two princes, looks to be headed to HBO Max as a 60-minute animated special. Now, you reviewed this back in episode 203. You really like this series, the season one that you heard. Love it to pieces. And looking very forward to that as well. That second season of the podcast actually did premiere in December and is out there uh, wherever you get your podcasts. Now, we want to give a quick shout out and thank you to Kendra. She is a member of our Patreon community, and she recently sent us a little gift. It was a painting of a rainbow heart. She sent a very cute and very thoughtful little note, and she apologized because she did it during the holidays, but only got around to mailing it in January. But no no need to apologize, Kendra, because we didn't actually pick it up from our P.O. box until February. As a matter of fact, we actually got it on February 14th, which was quite apropos. It was a lovely Valentine's gift since the painting was of a rainbow heart. So thank you so much, Kendra. We really, really appreciate it. Also, speaking of our Patreon community, this past week, we released our February bonus episode in which we talked about our rewatching of the original UK Queer is Folk. We loved it to pieces, and we go on at length about (laughs) the trials and tribulations of the gentleman in that particular show. If you'd like to check that out and some of the other extras that we deliver to our patrons every single month, just go to patreon.com slash biggayfictionpodcast. In The Hockey Player's Heart, the feel-good gay romance by Jeff Adams and Will Knauss, hockey star Caleb Carter returns to his hometown to recover from an injury. He never expects to run into his one-time crush at a great school fundraiser. 
seeing Aaron Price hits him hard, like being checked into the boards. The attraction is still there, even after all these years, and Caleb decides to make a play for the school teacher. You miss 100% of the shots you never take, right? Aaron has been burned by love before, and can't imagine what a celebrity like Caleb could possibly see in a guy like him. Their differences are just too great. But as Aaron spends more time with Caleb, he begins to wonder if he might have what it takes to win the hockey player's heart. Get the hockey player's heart at Amazon.com. So let's get into the books this week. Last week, I had the privilege of interviewing Brent Hartinger. I unfortunately had not finished reading the Otto Digmore decision before I interviewed him, so I'm going to look at that book this week. And needless to say, since I am a big fan of Brent's, you can be assured that I love this thing so much. As the Otto Digmore decision opens, Otto's out there looking for work. He's an actor. He considers himself a disabled actor because he does have burn scars on his face and across his body. And he's out there looking for a good role for him. His boyfriend agent keeps sending him out for things that he'd be good for. And most recently, he's going out for a reboot of Lost. It seemed perfect since the facial scars caused from a fire when he was young could work perfectly for the character. However, there's a bit of actor sabotage as he arrives on the Disney lot for his audition. And that causes him to lose that role before he even had a chance for it. So he's kind of feeling low because he hasn't worked in a while. And his best friend, Russell Middlebrook, is also not having a lot of luck recently either with his screenwriting career. But then suddenly Russell's script for Blackburn Castle gets optioned. And in that, he wrote a role specifically for Otto as a uh, thief who is part of a heist in the Middle Ages. This all takes place at a castle, as you can imagine from its title. And Everybody's excited about a good old Middle Ages heist movie, and they're going to get to go on location and do shoots at these castles and stuff. And so everybody is super excited until they get into rehearsals and discover that Gabriel Saint-Pierre is not a good director. Somehow his buzzy debut movie called Snark won some awards, got him some buzz. But as they dig into this movie, all of Gabriel's direction are taking it in a very schlocky direction that most of the principal actors, the more they get into it, the more none of them like it. So now the heist movie turns into be something that needs to be heisted. Otto and his co-stars, along with Russell, devised this plan that they're going to take the movie back from Gabriel. So they create these elaborate scenarios where they can get Gabriel offset long enough for them to actually shoot alternate versions of everything that he's doing wrong. The idea being that if he's got this good footage when he's in the editing room with his editor, they're going to, by default, pick the better footage. Well, guess what? Gabriel's actually going to edit the movie himself. So that just creates another layer of difficulty for everybody. And now they have to heist the movie yet again once they are back in Hollywood. And one of the things I love so much about this book is not only the heist and the double heist, because we get a good bit of them shooting the actual heist that's in the movie, we also get a lot of the deception that they have to create to get the footage they need to actually cut the movie together themselves. And Brent brought back in 
two long-standing characters from the Russell Middlebrook universe to help them save the day. And that just made me so happy. I realized as I was reading this and talking to Brent this time that these characters have been with me now for more than 15 years. The book that Otto was actually introduced in, The Order of the Poison Oak, came out in 2005. And now here we are in 2020, and I'm still reading these characters and tremendously enjoying them. They do manage to get the movie, but then it all blows up because Gabriel, of course, is incensed and having a good old Hollywood meltdown. And we truly get to see here the level that Otto and Russell are friends because they truly go to bat for each other to protect each other so that they don't get blackballed in Hollywood, but also to defend this movie because guess what? The studio wants their cut, not Gabriel's. The thing that makes this book so rich is that for Otto, his journey is really coming to a full circle here. This is about him coming to grips with himself in ways that he hasn't had to do before. This movie includes a nude scene for him that would have him fully exposed, so it's not just upper torso or anything like that. He would truly be on display, and what Russell wrote for him was an opportunity for him to be viewed as someone who is desirable, someone who can be a sex symbol because one of his co-stars, one of his fellow thieves, sees him while he's nude bathing in the stream and actually starts to develop feelings for him. It's not lost on Otto what that means for him as an actor and just for him as a person to be seen in that way. The core of the book, as Brent mentioned in our interview, is friendship. Russell and Otto have been friends for so very long, and their friendship in the two-book Otto Digmore series has just been on full display. These two will do anything for each other. Not only does Russell write a character for his friend, but he also puts his career on the line. They both end up and do that for each other. And then there's really small things they do for each other, like Otto upgrading Russell to first class as they go over to Europe to shoot scenes, because since he is just the lowly screenwriter, he, of course, is jammed up in the back in coach. We all could use friends like Russell and Otto in our lives, and it just makes it such a wonderful book. The Hollywood stuff... It's so wonderful. I love behind-the-scenes Hollywood, and we get so much of it here between the auditions and the rehearsals and then being on location. The whole setup of the movie really almost behaves as another character in this to get the movie done and to get the movie made. And I really enjoyed getting all of that built into the story as well. The epilogue is so good and so satisfying after all of the heisty shenanigans that go on. Brent said in the interview that this is the last of Otto's series and it all wraps up really great. But there is a hint that Russell might be considering taking up a certain digital nomad lifestyle. As I mentioned, I've been with these characters now for 15 years. I would totally read books where Russell is going to go off and be a digital nomad. So hopefully we get those. But I wholeheartedly recommend the Otto Digmore experience for a good old Hollywood heist type movie and a book that's just really all about good friends. Oh, fantastic. I love those series characters just as much as you do. And I haven't read this one yet, but it is definitely on my TBR. Now, this past week, I read a book written by our featured author. It's called The Good, The Bad, and The Dad. It's one of the Fairyland romances. And you know that I've been on a bit of a binge lately. I love this series so very much. Let's hop into it and explore the men 
featured in the title. First off is the good. That is Grayson. He is a trans man who plays Prince Magnificence at the Fairyland theme park. The bad is a guy named Killian. He plays the roguish pirate Davy Typhoon. He gets to walk around being all swarthy and and bad boyish. <laughs> and it's a part he genuinely relishes. And the dad is single dad Haru and his daughter Minako. Now, Haru and Minako have made appearances in every book in the Fairyland series. As I mentioned, Haru is a single dad. He recently lost his wife. He is struggling with that loss as well as trying to be there for his young daughter. And part of what makes her so very happy is going to the Fairyland theme park. Haru and Minako go to the theme park quite often. So often, in fact, that almost everyone who works there knows who they are. One day, while they're shopping in the grocery store, uh, they run into Grayson out of his, you know, princely costume character. And they strike up a conversation, and Grayson makes the bold move of asking Haru out. He gives him his number. And, to his surprise, Haru says yes. So they actually go on a date in the park. They have a a dinner date at, at one of the restaurants. This is new territory for Haru. It's the first time he's been out since his wife passed. And Grayson really likes this guy. So he's trying so very hard to make a good first impression. And unfortunately, he is failing spectacularly. The date is not going particularly well. When, all of a sudden, after he's done with his shift, Killian shows up. And he invites himself and he sits down. But instead of being a third wheel, the conversation starts to flow. And all of them actually end up having a really good time. At the end of the evening, Grayson walks Haru back to his car and gives him a sweet kiss goodnight. So, all's well that ends well. And so begins our character's journey to thruplehood, (laughs) I suppose. This is a sweet polyamory romance. And at first, Grayson and Killian see Haru as a bit of a prize. They feel like they have to one-up one another in order to impress Haru. But As they spend more and more time with the single dad and his young daughter, they realize that the three of them fit together really, really well. And they also manage to (laughs) not only find Haru attractive, but the idea of spending time with one another is appealing as well. And it's at this point that Haru has sort of a wake-up call. Though he enjoys the time he's spending with these two young men, he doesn't see how they can make this work in the long run. I mean, what are people going to think if he shows up with his daughter and two hot guys, one on each arm? (laughs) That's a bit much. So much so, in fact, that he makes plans to move away so that Minako can be with her grandparents more. And it's that And it's at that moment that Grayson and Killian band together and realize that if they're going to make this work, it's going, it's their job to make Haru realize that. As is the case with all of the Fairyland romances, the story is filled with heart and romance, and I loved it to pieces. I love how we're able to follow the emotional journeys of each of these three characters and their realization that triangle is the strongest shape. So it's no surprise that I really enjoyed The Good, The Bad, and The Diet. I highly recommend everyone check it out. That sounds awesome on so many levels. And I think my favorite thing that you said was the name of the pirate. Was that Davy Typhoon that you said? Mm -hmm. Because that's hilarious. (laughs) 
If you are interested in learning more about the books or anything else we talked about in this week's show, all you have to do is go to the show notes page for episode 228 at BigGayFictionPodcast.com. Want to hang out with us between shows? Check us out on Facebook. You never know what we might post. News about book sales, bonus video content, and maybe even a live broadcast or two. Like us today at Facebook.com slash BigGayFictionPodcast and see what we get up to next. So we recently had the opportunity to sit down with Kiwi author Jamie Sands. We talk about how they got started writing M.M. Romance, as well as what it's like to write stories under the Jackson Knight and Drake Lamarck pen names. Jamie, welcome to the podcast. It is so good to have you here. Thank you. I'm very excited to be here. So people who've listened recently know that Will fell in love with the Fairyland Romance series that you write under your Jackson Knight name. Tell us all about this series. Okay, so I wrote a series based in a theme park that I made up, and it's sort of based on Disney, and it's sort of based on Universal Studios, and it's sort of based on something else again that just sort of came from my brain, because I really love theme parks, and I wanted something. So when I was looking into um, romance series, there's a lot which are based around it like a family just a family and the various siblings falling in love and stuff and I got I didn't want to do that I wanted something that linked people together like a workplace but I wanted it to be something really really fun so a theme park is where I landed because I'm as I said absolutely obsessed with them so I wanted to make something that was my own so that's how fairyland came about and I wanted it to be like a sweet contemporary romance series with just lots and lots of queer characters and guys falling in love and it not being about the sex or or it being about homophobia as much as possible. I wanted to keep that out of it. I just wanted it to be like this really nice, happy place. So that's that's what I did. <laughs> and I think you found that to be the way it was. Oh, yes, most definitely. <laughs> yeah. Good, good. <laughs> Tell us about some of the couples that go through these four books. Oh, yeah. So my first one is Rival Princes. So that's Nate and Dash. And that's kind of from a, a situation I think a lot of people have been in in a workplace where you're there's one person who's worked for ages and ages and ages to be really, really good at something. And then someone else just kind of swans in and is naturally perfect at everything and gets all the breaks that the other person like feels like they've earned just because, you know, they're just naturally charming and charismatic. So I, I use that to do a kind of Rivals to Lovers story. So Nate is half Jamaican, he's an ex-surf lifesaver, and he just thought he would be getting a normal job at the theme park, and he ended up being Prince Fella, just kind of by accident, because they just looked at him and went, yeah, you look you look right, <laughs> you're going to do this. And Dash, Dash is the other character, and he's the one who's been working so hard for so long. He you know, went in through this internship program from when he was a teenager and he just really working hard and pulling himself up because he lost everything when he was a teenager and he made this his life, his career. So I wanted to do something where it was this kind of standard office workplace drama, but in this weird place where you're pretending to be a prince all the time and you have to be really, really nice to each other and no one can see that there's any tension when you're out in front of people. So it was a ton of fun. And then the second one is Mischief and Mayhem, and that has Cody, who's a security guard from the first book, falling in love with Dean, who's kind of a ridiculous manic pixie dream boy who runs a roller coaster. 
and this is a character that's really dear to my heart because I'm a natural optimist myself. So I got to just kind of channel all this ridiculous energy into Dean and um, have him be like really enthusiastic about a lot of things and just really loving people. And I ended up writing him a bit ADHD, although I did not diagnose him in the book. It was something I was reading up a lot about at the time. And when I was writing it, um, I was like, oh, I see what's happening here. It's interesting because that character is one that divides people in reviews. They either really love him or they really hate him. And the people who hate him, I think, don't get that there's a possible undiagnosed situation happening there with him that makes him really over the top. So that was a lot of fun. And of course, Cody's got all these issues himself, so he's battling a lot of demons. And then the third book is possibly my favorite in the series. It's Recipe for Chaos. And it follows Charlie, who's Nate's best friend from the first book. He's a chef at one of the restaurants in the theme park. And he really wants to impress, built it up in the first two books that the woman who invented the parks, the park and like all the mythology and stuff is hers. She has this son who's this complete trash fire. He doesn't want anything to do with the parks. He's this billionaire heir to this fairy, fairyland fortune that he doesn't want anything to do with. He doesn't know what to do with his life. He's just going out and drinking, sleeping with everyone he can. And he comes in, his mother forces him to be like, you're going to take some responsibility. He comes into the park. Charlie cooks for him because he wants to get um, a promotion, basically. And Max just instantly falls in love with Charlie. And is like, I love you. Let's go out. And Charlie's like, "Mm, no, we just met. It's not normal. And so it's kind of this push and pull with this Max character who's really over the top in a different way (laughs) to Dean. Just really wanting something that he can't have. And Charlie kind of trying to be as sensible as possible in this situation that's kind of out of his control because in some ways Max is his boss and some some ways he's not so that was a lot of fun to write kind of my take on the billionaire romance and then the fourth book which I just put out a couple of months ago the good the bad and the dad which is a thruple so it's an mmm and it has Haru who's the father of the little girl who fell in the water in the very first book so (laughs) tied it all through. They come back a few times in the different books um, because they've got a season pass to Fairyland. It's this little girl, Minako, who just absolutely loves everything to do with the princes and the princesses and wanting to be a better person. So Haru is a single dad. He lost his wife a few years earlier and he is courted by Killian, who plays a pirate in one of the parts of the park. And Grayson, who's one of the other princes. So he's Prince Magnificence and he's a trans man. So it was kind of, it was a challenge to write that one because it's a different kind of negotiation between the three of them to write this romance. And I really didn't want there to be the sense that there was an odd one out, like there was a third wheel. I wanted it to be all three of them needed each other and it wouldn't work with just two. They needed to all three be in love and make it work. So (laughs) yeah, so that one's set at Christmas. So I got it out just at the start of December. Yeah. And then I did a little short story of New Year's Eve, which is Max and Charlie again from the third book, just being ridiculous at New Year's (laughs) Eve. (laughs) Now something I'm so, I'm so glad that we had the chance to like sit down and talk about this particular series Number one, because I loved it to pieces. But also I was curious about something. Yeah. 
One aspect that I haven't talked about in any of my interviews so far is that these are sweet romances, mm. um, which may be a foreign concept to some of our listeners. In het romance, it's rather common. And what they mean by the term sweet is that there is no on-page sex. It's essentially low-heat romance. Uh, to be perfectly clear, these books are jam-packed with lots of romance. They're just very low heat. And I wanted to ask you if that was a conscious decision that you made going in, or was it just something that came naturally as you were telling these stories? It's a, it's a conscious decision I made going in because I didn't see a lot of it on the market. And I wanted it to be, you know, this idea of the theme park being really sweet carrying through into the romances themselves it got harder as I went to keep it that way though because my characters started to get real into each other and sometimes I kind of have to pull them back from from doing more on the page than I wanted them to do <laughs> well yeah I mean especially in books like three and four you're kind mm. of playing with billionaire trope and like a menage trope which are yeah. usually traditionally very high heat so, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And actually, my it was funny that you asked because my idea with the short story that I did the um, New Year's Eve was to bring some sex onto the page. And I had every intention of doing it, but just something held me back when I actually started to. And I think it's just because I want that whole series to just be about the romance and about the sweetness rather than about the sex. Mm -hmm. So it was sort of surprising to me that I actually couldn't manage it in the end even though the characters really really do want to <laughs> so i might just have to go and write some fan fiction of my own characters maybe and just there you go <laughs> put it out on yeah. ao3 and how often fiction. does that happen That's that the funny. author writes their own That's fanfic <laughs> i think rainbow rowell did it with um carry on but i can't think of anyone else <laughs> so you created a theme park Mm. What what research did you do? What went into building the world? So I, I've I've been to a few theme parks that definitely helped. I've been to the Anaheim Disneyland one time, and I've traveled to Japan three times and gone to the Disney Resort there every time, and the Universal Studios in Osaka as well. We also have a little theme park here locally in Auckland, New Zealand, but it doesn't it's got one roller coaster and it's, it's not very exciting. So, <laughs> so there was some experience, but also I, I just went online and, and searched cause a lot of ex theme park employees will go on to like Reddit and do AMAs, which is really, really useful stuff. Like all the rules that they've got to abide by and, you know, interesting things about the things that have to do. So I did lots of reading around that. And then more recently on Disney plus, there's this fantastic series called the Imagineering story. Mm. I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's basically a documentary series from right when Walt Disney first started um, conceiving of Disneyland right until Galaxy's Edge opened, I think, last year. So mm. it's just this incredible behind-the-scenes look at how they do the effects and the illusions, and yeah, it was absolutely fascinating. So stuff like that, for sure. Yeah. One more reason yeah. to subscribe it's... to Disney+, Plus because <laughs> that sounds really <laughs> fascinating. <laughs> As you write, are you more of a plotter or pantser? And I'm curious specifically to like, did you lay your theme park out all at once or did you build more of it as you went? 
Yeah, I I still have this plan that I should write down, like draw a map of the theme park, and I've not yet done it, and I really should because I'm going to catch myself out at some point where they turn one way and it's gone another way in the past. In terms of writing a story, I used to be a pantser. Now I'm a plantser. <laughs> so I... <laughs> Sounds awful. I, so I, I go through story beats, basically, and I plot everything scene by scene, but I don't go into too much detail. I just have like, you know, this is the scene where Max meets Charlie and is, over, you know, tries to kiss him or something like that. I don't know. So I just have a couple of scenes. This is the general idea of what it should be. And then I write from that just off, off those two, you know, sentence prompts. So it's kind of a combination where I, I know where the story's going and I know the beats that I have to hit, but what happens in each chapter or scene is pretty organic. That's pretty cool. You could just keep inventing parts of the park as you go. Yeah. <laughs> as I've long got as you a, remember a, where they are. As long as I remember where they are. Because I, I started off in the first book and I just kind of hinted at a couple of other parts and then I got to explore them later in, in the other books, which was great fun. But yeah, I've got a Google Doc, which I just keep all the records of what I've said for sure. Like, this is the name of this restaurant. This is the name of that ride. <laughs> so I can refer back because sooner or later I'm going to catch myself out. I know it. <laughs> At the moment, the Fairyland series has four books. Do you have any plans to continue the series? Yeah, I actually have books five and six planned. I haven't started either of them. And then I've got an idea for book seven. Is that right? Five, six, seven. Yes. So yeah, I do have a lot of ideas. There's a lot of characters that I've introduced already who I want to go back to. And I've also had a couple of people request that I um, switch to FF and follow some of the female characters, some of the princesses falling in love and some of the other female characters that I've put in, which I'm, I do like the idea of because I think there's a lot of interesting characters just, just nudged at, you know, in the previous book, just hinted at. So yeah, I will keep re writing them. It's just um, not sure of the timeline exactly. <laughs> because you don't only write under Jackson Knight. You also That's have right. a pen name of Drake Lamarck, yes. where you're writing paranormal pirate harems. And I don't know that you can get further away from Fairyland theme park than Paranormal Pirate Harem. Yeah, well, it's true. <laughs> it was a big context switch. Yeah, the um, Paranormal Pirate Gay Harem series I came up with because a friend of mine was doing really, really well in Reverse Harem. And I was like, okay, um, how? give me your secrets. How are you doing so well? And she was like, oh, you know, I just happened to find the edge of a new trend just as it was starting. And I'm like, okay, well, I can't, <laughs> I can't find that out of nowhere. And she's like, well, you know, there's not many gay harems out there, so maybe you could try that. And I came up with pirates because I was like, well, to have a, a bunch of guys all fall in love, they have to be squished together somehow. They have to be co-located. <laughs> and I didn't want to do like a jail thing or army or military, anything like that. I wanted it to be really fun. And I've always loved pirates. And well, there's a forced proximity thing with the pirate ship. And then once I started thinking about that, all these characters just came to mind. And then I put in magic and merfolk and witches. And it's just so much fun. <laughs> and yet there's a small part of me that could see this as a ride in fairyland of some kind. Yeah, I mean, I've got pirates in fairyland as well. And the 
in the fourth in Good, the Bad and the Dead, I introduced Killian, who plays a pirate, and at some point he got real saucy with me, um, with the other characters as well, and I'm like, oh, you're trying to be in the other pirate book. <laughs> Calm down. Calm down, boy. You're in the nice one. He's like, oh. So tell us about these books and and the series as a whole. Yeah, so I'm just finishing the fourth one at the moment, which will wrap up the main arc. The story, the series is called His Piratical Harem because I just wanted it to be real obvious what I was doing. <laughs> so no one would pick it up who was under any false impressions. It follows Gideon, who is the son of the governor of Jamaica. He is not straight. He knows he's not. And he's failed out of the military. Um, he, he was supposed to be a naval captain. He failed out of the Navy within a year. He's always wandering around reading books and, and thinking about romance. And it's basically a massive disappointment to his father. And in the start of the first book, his father says, you know, you've got to settle down. You've got to marry a girl. You've got to give me an heir. You're going to take over as the um, governor of Jamaica. I've sorted it all out. So, you know, tomorrow, basically, you've got to meet a girl. And Kideon knows he can't do that. So he runs away in the middle of the night. He, he goes to a ship. He picks the ship because it has a nice cat on it. So that should give you an idea of the kind of character he is. It's completely ridiculous. And he instantly is attracted to the captain of the ship and the first mate um, for very different reasons. And it's the kind of magical um, pirate ship where everyone is accepted for who they are. We've got a, a trans woman, quartermaster, this gay captain and, and the spy first mate. And it just kind of all escalates. <laughs> and the, <laughs> so to speak. <laughs> and the captain has this nemesis who's a sea witch who's really got it out for revenge. And he gets um, involved later on, you know, as the villain and kidnaps Gideon off the ship to get back at the captain, Captain Tate. And that's when Gideon meets Aura, who's a gender neutral, gender queer merfolk. They fall in love. They've kind of got a soulmate thing going on. And then right at the end of the first book, the ship's cat, who first lured Gideon onto the ship, the Grey Kelpie, gets hit by a spell and becomes a man. So from book two onwards, there's four in the harem. There's the captain, the first mate, the merfolk, and the ship's cat, who is not very good at being human at all. He just wants to keep being a cat and lies around on the deck and demands fish so he's a lot of fun to write <laughs> <laughs> yeah so when i got to writing a sex scene with him it was a bit tricky because <laughs> he just he just lay back and said yes you may worship me and i'm like yeah that's about it's about how it is with my cat <laughs> that is so very cat like yeah. yeah she just yep yeah, okay go for it you can pet me it's all right <laughs> so they the, the basic story is they you know they're running away from the sea witch they've got that problem there's also the navy going after them because Gideon's father isn't ready to give him up so there's lots of drama lots of sailing around in the Caribbean and visiting fancy places and lots and lots of sex so <laughs> something for everyone <laughs> <laughs> and in that case you've said the story halfway around the world from where you are that must must be fun I to did. play kind of in that part of the world a little bit it is yeah <laughs> i mean i'm not gonna lie there's a lot of pirates of the caribbean influence there but i you know it's the golden age of pirates and they were kind of all in that area so that's where i wanted to set it so and because i made it magical i'm not stuck too closely to historical accuracy which saved me some time on research mm -hmm. um, I, I do the best i can but you know there's wikipedia and there's various other websites but it's hard to get 
you know, real truth about what happened. <laughs> and as you said, once you introduce a magic system, all bets are off anyway. Well, I hope so. Uh, no one's complained yet, but if they do, I can just be like, also, see witches. <laughs> exactly. exactly. <laughs> when do you think that book might find its way out, book four? So I'm definitely in the final act at the moment. I had a lot of trouble because the sea witch was being a real bitch. I talk about my characters like they mess with me and they really do. So I was trying to wrap up the story with the sea witch and he just kept pushing back at me and it took ages. So in the final act, I'm hoping to get it out hopefully by the end of the month, but we'll see. Okay. I just started a full-time office job, so that's cutting into my writing time. So in addition to your sweet fairyland romances and your pirate harem, you also write under your own name, Jamie Sands. Can you tell us a little yes. bit more about the books you have under your own name? Yeah, there's not too much out there. I put out a young adult ghost story set in New Zealand called The Suburban Book of the Dead, which is kind of like supernatural but for teenagers kind of thing with a girl called rain who really has a lot of rage in her. She loses her best friend in the first chapter in mysterious circumstances. And then it turns out the boy she had a crush on is a monster hunter. So they team up together to find out what happened to her best friend. And I've got the sequel to that, like 90% finished, but then I got distracted by sexy pirates. So <laughs> it's not done yet. <laughs> And I've also published a travel journal from when I went through Japan for three and a half weeks, just called Honeymoon in Japan, which is a large print one because I mostly published it so that I could print it out and give it to my grandmother-in-law for Christmas because she really loves armchair travel. <laughs> but yeah, so those two. And then this year, later this year, I'm going to publish a book called The Other Side of the Mirror, I think that's going to be the title, which is a paranormal like urban fantasy mystery set in Auckland, New Zealand. And that's going through a f new press that a friend of mine's operating. So not sure on the timeline on that one, but it will be a cool thing to have happen. <laughs> yeah, that's very cool. What got you started writing? It's a tricky one. I feel like I've been writing forever. I remember writing um, like stories when I was five at school and hilariously, I thought of this in the middle of the night when I was planning what I was going to say in this interview. I remember one of my favorite stories that I wrote when I was six was about going to a theme park. <laughs> it was about like this magical thing happening and I got to go to Disneyland and I was so happy and that was it. That was the story. So I wrote through, I wrote a lot of poetry as a teenager. And then in my 20s, I decided to try and start making it a bit more serious and read a lot about how to write and all that stuff wrote my very first novel, which is absolutely terrible and will never see the light of day. Since then, I've just sort of been writing a lot of stuff. So I've got a few things on in the trunk, so to speak, that have not been published. They're sort of ones from when I was more of a pantser. And when I've given them to friends who know what they're talking about, they've said, oh, you need to bring, you know, more conflict in here or bring this, um, the B plot forward or something like that. And I'm like, okay, that sounds like work. I'll put, put it off for now. <laughs> so <laughs> at some point um, there'll be more out there, but for now I'm just uh, chugging along basically. And what moved you into writing MM with the pirates and the theme park? Yeah. So we've got a really good romance writers uh, of New Zealand conference every year. 
and I didn't write romance when I first started going because I, I just didn't, wasn't. And it's a really great conference where lots of people talk about, you know, how to write and how to market yourself and all that stuff. So it's really good and practical advice. And it was after that when I heard some people talk about the kind of money they were bringing in from writing romance that I got, oh, okay, well, maybe I should give it a go. And I never wanted to write straight romance because I am myself, I'm not straight. And there are so many straight romances out there anyway that I didn't think that there was anything new I could sort of say. So I went for MM kind of purely because I come from a fan fiction background and also because FF doesn't sell as well. So those two things kind of pushed me in that direction. And then as soon as I started writing it, I just loved it. It was just, you know, you start writing romance and I, well, for me, I started writing romance and I realized how many romance movies I've seen in the past, how many stories I've read. And I know the tropes and I know how it should feel. And that's really fun to write, honestly. It just is, it's so lovely to be able to give um, these boys with all kinds of problems this happy ending that they wouldn't get in a lot of mainstream media. Are there any particular authors or books that kind of influenced your own writing journey? It's a tricky one. Like I want to say Stephen King's on writing. In terms of MM, I've really loved Anna Zabo's work. I don't know if you're familiar. She mm -hmm. does a series takeover mm -hmm. and another one with the band, which I've temporarily forgotten. But I really love her writing because she just gets so deep into the emotions and the tension gets so high. And Jay Hogan and Anne Barwell, they're both New Zealand authors. And I feel like I have to shout them out because we've <laughs> got to keep it in the family. But um, <laughs> no, there's a lot out there, but that's really, really good. And I've also really loved, what was it, came out last year, Red, White and Royal Blue, Jason mm -hmm. McQuiston. Yeah, that one was really huge for me. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I read a lot. And I don't read just MM. I sort of read all over the place. So it's tricky trying to think up exactly what influenced me, I'm not sure. So it's, it sounds like the very next thing that we're going to have from you is the Paranormal Pirates book four. Yeah. Is there anything else like you can put on the timeline through the end of this year? Yeah. So once I've put out, so Captain's Treasure is book four. Once that's out, I'm going to start a second Paranormal Pirate gay harem in the same universe, but with new characters. And that series is going to be called... The Gentleman's Bounty. And so that will have the same universe, but different characters. And then I think I'm going to write some more of my original characters because I really like them. So I've called it in my head, it's called The Further Adventures of the Grey Kelpie. Them just kind of sailing around and having more adventures. So yes, that's that's planned. Gentleman's Bounty, number, book one will come out first, but I don't can't really put it on a timeline at this stage. And then hopefully I'll get back to some fairyland and put out book five of that. Awesome. Yeah, definitely looking forward to that. So much, so much good stuff to read. Yeah. I want to say thank you so much, Jamie, for coming to hang out with us and talk about all of these amazing books. How can people keep up with you and your various pen names online? <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, so probably Facebook is the easiest way. We've got author pages for Jackson Knight and Drake Lamarck. And there are also reader groups for both of those. So the Jackson Knight one is called Knights of Fairyland, Knights with a K, and Drake's one is called Drake's Crew, which is really active. There's lots of cool stuff happening in there. 
And if you just want to hang out with me, it's just Jamie Sands author. But as obviously that's probably like the least active one right now. <laughs> and I'm also on Twitter and Instagram as well. But yeah, if you come to those, those Facebook pages, you find links to everything. Fantastic. Well, Jamie, thank you so much for coming on and telling us about all of these worlds that you create. It was great to have you. Thank you so much. It was really fun. This week's interview transcript has been brought to you by our community on Patreon. If you'd like to read the author interview for yourself, simply head on over to the show notes page for this episode at BigGayFictionPodcast.com. And thanks again to Jamie for joining us for this interview. I had a great time as we learned all about the various worlds that they create. We talked in that interview about the fourth book in the His Piratical Harem series, and that is called Captain's Treasure. It is now set to release on March 14th, and we've got the pre-order link in the show notes. All right, everyone, I think that's going to do it for this week's show. Coming up next week in episode 229, we'll be coming to you from Daytona Beach, where we'll be at the Coastal Magic Convention. We're going to be joined by Zio Axelrod. I am looking so forward to talking to Zio. It was just a few weeks ago, back in episode 225, that I reviewed When Frankie Meets Johnny. This past week on Valentine's Day, she dropped the cover and the blurb for Frankie and Johnny Let the Music Play. She just dropped that information on the 14th, and now the book is coming out on February 17th, which is, of course, today as this episode drops. You can be sure we're going to be talking about that book and all the other great things that she's got going on. Sounds amazing. So, guys, remember, no matter where life takes you, the journey will always be sweeter when you have a book. Until next time, everyone, please keep turning those pages and keep reading. Big Gay Fiction Podcast is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. You can find more shows you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. New episodes of this show are available every Monday wherever you get your podcasts. You can help support this show with a monthly pledge through Patreon. For more information about joining our community and the bonus content we deliver, check out patreon.com slash biggayfictionpodcast. I'm Kurt Graves. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.